I'm Lester S. Duplichet, MD. Thank you for joining us at the Woodshed Musculoskeletal Podcast. Thanks for coming to our podcast. The first thing I wanted to do here on the Woodshed podcast, this being our first episode, is introduce our first guest. So our first guest is Dr. Jensen A. Clark, who is a physical medicine rehab specialist, but also has done a pediatric rehabilitation fellowship. So she is now an associate or assistant professor, excuse me, at uh, University of Cincinnati in the Department of Neurology and Rehabilitation. Um, so I'd like to introduce Dr. Jensen A. Clark. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I hope I set the presidents really well being the first guest. <laughs> well, chances are you'll be back. That's All right. the hope. I'll okay. take it. Great. So for the listeners to help them, let's explain to them how we became acquainted and how we work together. So um, we know the story, but if you wouldn't mind, um, how did we meet? So I, I don't know how much of this part you remember, but we actually met when I was interviewing for residency here at the University of Cincinnati. And what I remember distinctly is your office is kind of set in the back. And I think you were one of the last interviews of the day for me. So I was like, okay, tired, but we got one more. And we kind of laughed about one of my letter of recommendation writers last names. I don't know if you remember this. She has a very distinct last name. Her last name is Foreskin. And we talked about how that was an interesting last name to put. And she carries it. It's actually her maiden name. So she carries it on. Um, and it, that wasn't even my favorite letter writer. It was kind of one of the obligatory ones you get. And so we laughed and chatted about that. And then I don't even remember how the rest of the day ended, but I remember that that was, you were, you were the only person that pointed that out the whole day. So we got to <laughs> kind of break the glass about that. And then matching here at the University of Cincinnati, you know, ever since then, we kind of have, you know, worked together from residency. And then after that, we stayed in touch in fellowship. And then, you know, you helped recruit me back. So I'm happy to be back and join the UC family officially. And it is so great to have you back. Um, it has, it has been not easy, but nothing good comes easy, as my father used to say all the time. Yeah. So, um, but that's funny. I don't remember that part. I'll tell you what I remember. <laughs> okay. I remember, so I'm, I'm the guy who looks at everything. Mm. And so I always read all the letters. I also look at everything because I'm not trying to catch people in lies or anything, but I, I just kind of want to learn about people. And what I remembered is, your picture was you standing up in front of a BMW. <laughs> so that was probably one of my med school friends' car parked outside of our new, you know, you get a new building, everybody wants to take headshot pictures outside of the building. So that's kind of what we did. One of our friends had a good camera and we were all like, you know, signed up for days and was like, all right, shoot me on this day. Got to get my, my residency picture ready. So everybody has a headshot and you're in front of a, a BMW. So I was kind of like, who is this bougie kid coming here? But of course, once you started speaking to me, everything fell into place. So, so let's get on with getting to know you a bit. Tell us mm -hmm. about how you found this new area, transitional rehabilitation medicine. 
Yeah, I think, you know, when we talk about new areas, it's really an area that people have been doing, but we really have defined it a little bit more recently. And just more background, you mentioned my training starting in adult rehab and then doing additional training in pediatric rehab medicine. And what we found in what rehab as a field has always done is we've always adopted our patients for as long as they need us, which for the most part is a long time. And so what had happened or what was happening was in the pediatric world, patients were meeting their PM&R doctor at birth, right? And they were caring for them through the lifespan continuum. And with all of our medical advances, these, you know, preemies and 26 weekers were making it much longer and living a lot longer than we had previously. And so we then had this generation of youth and young adults who were aging with disability and not fitting in one place or the other. So not really fitting in the pediatric hospital anymore and really hadn't been exposed much to the adult healthcare setting. And so then there was this shift of, well, a lot of pediatric providers just kept their pediatric patients as adults and cared for them until <laughs> they couldn't anymore physically. And then the other end of the spectrum was sometimes these patients would wound up in adult centers, um, not having had that uh, handoff as it were. And so what transition medicine really seeks to do is it mimics this and highlights this really important time period for patients and families of adolescents. And some of the other medical specialties like diabetes and endocrine and um, some other specialties where we're used to children aging with certain conditions has really led the way and paved. Um, intellectual disabilities is another big medical specialty where there's a lot of evidence-based practices. There's a lot of um, things that are set up. And in rehab, we've just been doing it. And um, there's not always best practices or systems that are set up. Some of the other areas like, for instance, spina bifida is one group of patients that um, transition. There's been a lot of headway with, but there's a lot of other diagnoses that don't fit so neatly that we can learn a lot um, from the other medical specialties. So transition medicine really encompasses all those different parts. So it's the medical management, but it's also the empowerment piece for the patient and families to learn what skills do you need to have as a patient now? And mom, how do you let go of medications and how do you empower you know, Billy to learn how to make his own doctor's appointment? So it's more than just the medical management, it's also the self-care and advocacy that uh, patients really need and benefit from when they have a specialist. So since this is a new area, sometimes a provider might think, well, I'm going into this unchartered space. Am I going to have enough patients? You know, are people going to know to find me or are practitioners going to be able to figure out how to send patients to me? So where do you expect your patients to come from? Is, is this a really needed area? That's a great question. I think there's a couple of different points where I can meet people for the first time. Sometimes it's when we're adults and we realize we've run into a snag and it's just like something isn't right. So for example, I had a patient, he came in with his wife, he's mid thirties and he's like, I've had CP my whole life, but someone was like, you should have an adult CP doctor. Like you can't go to the children's hospital. So sometimes I meet patients who are kind of, um, 
dealing with mobility difficulties or um, just changing of their functional status. And so they're like, gosh, there has to be somebody who can help me out. So that's always a a go. The other one are astute um, either pediatricians or pediatric rehab doctors who are like, I really enjoy taking care of you, but we're going to have to transition. So they do a little bit more preventive or preemptive um, referral. So they'll send the patients to me a little bit sooner before they're already reaching adulthood. And so we'll kind of discuss some of those issues there. So there's two points kind of before it's needed and then after they've hit some of these adult uh, challenges or adult experiences in life and realize oh maybe this could have gone smoother or I still need some help getting some things done. Awesome so there's clearly not this obvious pathway for transitional rehabilitation there's no residency program or fellowship yet so just to kind of remind people what you've been through. You first did an adult physical medicine rehab residency, which was a total of four years, correct? Yes. And then two years of pediatric rehabilitation medicine on top of that. Yep. And in those two years, um, I remember even thinking about knowing the patient population I wanted to serve, really asking myself, did I really need to do the pediatric rehab on top of it? Because at the end of the day, it's all rehab, right? Like we're all dealing with functional things. And so I remember talking to a mentor who was like, well, you could probably just see patients not do the fellowship, but I really wanted to get the insight and see where my patients came from. I wanted to be in the room when we have the discussions of your baby has CP. What does that mean? What does that look like? And also being aware of some of the um, surgeries that a lot of patients go through and looking at that and thinking about how that affects their function five and 10 years from now. And so being able to see it from the forefront, I thought was really important. So you're right. We do a residency of four years and then a two-year, I did two-year pediatric rehab medicine fellowship. And of course, some people don't know what physical medicine rehabilitation is. And in fact, I remember um, matching for residency and my dad was on the phone with someone and they called and said, you know, what's Lester doing? And my dad said, I think he's going to become a physical therapist. So, um, which is a great noble field, but it wasn't what I was going into. So uh, the reason I bring this up is for those people who don't quite know what physical medicine and rehab is, and again, this is a musculoskeletal pod- podcast, you are able to bring in some of your skills as an adult physiatrist into this new field of transitional uh, rehabilitation. So can you touch a little bit about some of the things you learned in just plain old physical medicine and rehabilitation that has you in this kind of sweet spot to do transitional rehabilitation? Absolutely. I think that is a part that really drives me now. My strong, um, you know, MSK, even beginnings, which I think I, you know, credit to my residency training, um, because some of the things I think about and we look at is not just one concept. It's in the process of the whole body. So I'll give an example of like a 22-year-old patient with cerebral palsy who they have baseline tone and spasticity. So we learn how to manage, you know, an abnormal gait. But now we have to think about how does the biomechanics of the patellar change given that their rectus spasticity has been cranking on their kneecap for the past 20 years, right? And so walking around from one class to the other in middle school was okay. And yet 
said there was some knee pain, but now we're trying to look for a job. And Walmart is saying, well, you can stock shelves, but you can't really take your rolling walker with you because how do you stock shelves with your rolling walker in hand? And so the patient comes to me and is like, oh, Dr. Clark, like I've got knee pain, but it's not just the knee pain. It's you have knee pain because you have tone that's been um, working for a while, given that you probably also had some calf and um, Achilles lengthenings when you were younger, right? So do we over lengthen you and now your um, ground reaction forces from your ankle are off. And so we really need to put you in AFO to help stabilize the ankle so that your knees are stronger. So you don't need your walker. So it's never just like one thing. And I, um, I learned in residency, you have to look at the joint above and below. And so being able to take those skills and look at the context of a patient as a whole really kind of gets me excited and helps me problem solve because the patient comes to you and just says, this hurts, fix it. <laughs> and so you, you get a different scope and view to be able to make um, an issue functional. I think the other part that's important in what transitional medicine lens and what we're learning more is that some of these um, conditions, we can see a pattern that other people may not recognize. So there are some musculoskeletal manifestations, especially in patients with cerebral palsy, that can often go misdiagnosed or undiagnosed and kind of people will say, oh, that's your your CP getting worse and your CP aging, which um, as specialists, we know that CP by definition is static and shouldn't you shouldn't change as far as your functional status. So when you have a patient with new cervical myelopathy type changes, you need to look a little bit further and transition medicine can help prevent some of those injuries and, mis and overuse things, but also help um, patients when they're presenting with some symptoms that may not quite fit what they've been doing and help to, um, you know, alleviate some of those things as well. Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to get to some more of this, but right now we're going to take a little bit of a break. You, you brought up some really heavy topics and I'm sure people are going to have to run this back a little bit to understand some of the things you talked about <laughs> with AFOs and CP and everything, but we're going to take a very quick break and kind of lighten things up a little bit. Uh, one of the things I love is, especially at work, I love music. I love talking about sports. I know you uh, love basketball, played basketball. What was your position playing basketball? So I technically was probably a two guard, okay. but I often played a three. I actually got the benefit of playing with two six footers in high school. So we wow. got to have, I had two six footers. So I uh, got to play off of them sometimes. Nice. So, and I know you love the NBA. I do. Great. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. All right. So it's it's Mount Rushmore time. <laughs> so Mount Rushmore time means you've got four people okay. that you could put on Mount Rushmore. So what I'm going to give you is <laughs> this is tough. Mount Rushmore NBA centers. Okay. Mount Rushmore NBA centers. See, I was ready for point guards. If you would have given me point guards, I, I had a couple for That's you. That's too so, easy. I know, sinners. All right. Let's see. I think Shaq has to be up there, right? Shaq has to be on my Mount Rushmore. Who else would be on my Mount Rushmore for sinners? Dikembe. Got to put him on there. Dikembe um, Mutombo. Yeah. Mount Rushmore. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, one of the reasons I gave you this question is uh, at your age, you know, the center position has really changed. 
And, um, you know, the traditional centers, Shaq may have been one of the last of a dying breed of the traditional mm-hmm. centers. So it's interesting. This is really our generation gap here, uh, listening to you talk about <laughs> NBA centers. But okay, so we got Shaq and Dikembe Mutombo. So I need two more. Two more. Um, all right, I got a good one for you. And this is going back to my uh, U of H days. Akeem Olajuwon has okay. got to be on my Mount That's Rushmore. Three. Okay. I'm writing them down. You're writing them down. I think for a generation, for me, I think we have to also, he's a hard one to put because his career wasn't long enough. But I think growing up in Houston for a bit, I think Yao Ming should be on there. We're talking about true centers for in. Let's put a classic, I think, Wilt Chamberlain, Scott. Wait, wait, you, you can only have four, though. Oh, I've already named four? Did I yes. do my four? Elijah so you have okay, Dikembe, you have Olajuwon, you have Yao Ming, and Shaq. Let's take them off. Yao Ming comes <laughs> off. Wilt Chamberlain <laughs> okay. goes. Wilt Chamberlain goes is my four. Okay, Wilt is still. All right. So, no Kareem. <laughs> no Kareem. No Kareem. Top scorer top score but was he was he really a five was he a center he was a center oh <laughs> he was the penultimate he was the ultimate center and no bill russell no bill russell see those are your generation see now this is where we're getting now bill russell's above you know he's before my generation a little bit <laughs> but i recognize I recognize, you know, the greatness before me. But, hey, everybody's got their Mount Rushmore. I'm not here to tell you one is worse than the other. So that's interesting. Okay. You left Dikembe on there. So Dikembe, Hakeem Olajuwon, Shaq, and Wilt. Yeah. Okay. I love it. I love it. So we'll get back to this again (laughs) later at another time. All right. So we're going to leave Mount Rushmore, and we're going to come to something uh, a little different here. Okay. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was, and very clearly you've got this great desire on the clinical side, but you've also done some work uh, uh, with the Minority House Staff Association. In fact, you're one of the founders of the mm-hmm. Minority House Staff Association at the University of Cincinnati while you were a resident. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why it was important to start an organization like that? Yeah, I think when I think about that um, opportunity I had, it really came out of a need. And I think it was something where we really noticed, gosh, something is lacking here. Um, And I'll explain. It's almost this time of year when we, my co-founder and I really sat down and said we have to do something. We both were new to the Cincinnati and Midwest area. We had come here for training. And we individually loved our programs. And at work, we were extremely happy. Like every day going in, we really enjoyed what we were doing, but realized outside of work, there really wasn't support for us as minority um, physicians. There weren't um, opportunities for us to do some of the other community building things that were instilled in us as part of, you know, being a well-rounded person. We didn't feel like we had professional development opportunities. And then every now and then we would have sometimes some, you know, challenges, either with other residents or with patient experiences. And we thought, gosh, there has to be a way for us to better navigate these issues. And so we found or we founded the Minority House Staff Association because we realized we weren't the only ones. Um, And my co-founder, she has this really great way about herself where she wants to know everyone. She introduces herself to people, you know, and 
make sure everyone knows everyone. That sense of community we really felt was lacking. And so we, um, that was, you know, a big driver for us is to make sure that we had that sense in the support amongst ourselves, but also at the next level, because while we were all trainees, so either residents or fellows, we knew we were going to be attending at some point and we really needed to kind of build this network and community so that when we got to the next level, it was there as well and with the mentorship. So that was an opportunity that was built out of a need. And it's something that I'm proud to say, having gone and come back, it's still thriving, which is great to know. Um, and also is, you know, paving ways for opportunities for um, recruitment, even at the medical school level um, to just show exposure. Cause if you can't see it, you don't know that it's attainable for you. And so being able to see examples has been really impactful. As Dr. Alan Crawford often says, you have to see it to be it. So mm -hmm. that's yeah. wonderful. And then the other thing I think is really great about this is you and your co-founder have now finished training and you're both actually faculty members here where <laughs> <Yeah>. you train. So, <laughs> Absolutely. you know, as hard as it is to recruit faculty, um, uh, it, it really goes to show you that when people put something into their local area, even if they don't think they're going to stay there, that they tend to feel that this is important to them. So mm -hmm. uh, wonderful, wonderful. So I'm going to give you a chance to, this is called the free speech portion, All right. where what I was uh, hoping was that um, since you, you like to see young people come up and this is a great opportunity as a role model for you to kind of reach out to people. We, we all have that ladder and sometimes the ladder is not there for us, but uh, we'd like to reach back and make sure that other people can, you know, see it and be it. So do you have any thoughts or pearls or affirmations that you would like to give to people who might be listening? Yeah, I think I'll just share something that my mom kind of always instilled in me is that, you know, she was, and I think this might even be a Dr. Seuss quote that it's like, you know, you weren't made to fit in, you were made to stand out. And I think really walking into that and being proud of you being unique. And I think I, it's hard, right? Sometimes it's really hard being the unicorn in the room. It's not easy. You walk in and everyone automatically knows you're different, you talk different, you look different, but at the same time, it's empowering because you're not gonna get grouped with everyone else. So I say like, embrace that and don't let that question or, or make your dream smaller. So if I told you four years ago, yeah, I wanna start a transition medicine program, those words don't always even exist in the same sentence. So being able to have a vision and a dream, and you may always, you may say like, oh, it's crazy dream. Don't, don't make it smaller. Don't belittle it. You know, say, this is my dream and this is what, you know, I want to do and this is my passion. And if it doesn't exist, then I know that I'm gonna have to work a little bit harder to make it exist and to build it. So I would say stand, you know, into the unique that you are and don't kind of shudder away from it, which is easy to do because other people are going to try to dim your light because it makes them, you know, not shine as bright, but you have to embrace who you are and in your uniqueness. As Dr. Lou Edgy says, step into the space and own it. Don't oh, you yeah. love that? <laughs> I love that she says that. <laughs> step into the space and own it. That's what she said when we were on the Zoom call together and we were recruiting you. I don't know if you remember that. But wow. John Gasky wrote it down. It was that important. <laughs> so that's wonderful. That's that's great stuff to hear. Um, we're about to end up here, but I really want to give you the opportunity to uh, let people know how they can find you. I mean, I think you're a great resource here. We've already seen that some patients have actually come from out of state 
to see you and have come from long distances, maybe have stayed overnight in a hotel just yeah. to kind of get a new provider and to get started. How can people reach out and find you and get in touch with your staff? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I'm, I even got another kind of around the way referral even today via email. Someone ran into one of the um, therapists at um, Children's Hospital and said, I think you might know someone. Let me connect you. So the official way is to go just through a UC. Um, any any physician can refer you to PM&R in the referral. Just make sure you uh, connotate Dr. Clark. But then there's also a scheduling number that you can dial. It's 513-418-2225. And in that, you can just ask to um, be scheduled with myself, Dr. Clark, or in the transitional clinic. I've got a great team of schedulers and a care coordinator who's been helping in my MA staff. Once they see like transition of care or children's, they kind of shuffle it to me and we have a nice review process where we reach out to patients and families and help find times that are convenient for them, but also helps meet the needs if they're already on campus for other visits. Great. And there is the UC Health website. So if they go to uchealth.com, they can look you up. There's probably more than one Dr. Clark. So look for Dr. Jensen A. Clark. It's probably got a great picture of you. The other way is probably going through the UC College of Medicine website, which is probably med.uc.edu and looking you up there through the Department of Neurology and Rehabilitation Medicine. Well, thank you so much for coming. This is awesome. We don't get to talk enough, but it's great to have you here as a young faculty member. Um, You know, I I think it's great that you're willing to do this. And of course, we wish you every success. Thanks so much for having me. And I can't wait till we can do this again. Awesome. Well, that's it. First episodes in the can. Thanks again to Dr. Jensen A. Clark. And we'll see you here again for another episode of The Woodshed.